You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Welcome to the Weekly Review, the radio show where two men of a certain age oversee the cultural landscape from the safety of a high tower, watching how everything that defined their upbringing falls to the side and becomes irrelevant with each new generation. As Sick Boy from Trainspotting would say, we're at an age where we probably can't hack it anymore. At one point you've got it, then you lose it forever. And while some of Lou Reed's solo stuff wasn't bad, it wasn't great either. <laughs> I don't know what Ben thinks of my Glaswegian accent. <laughs> I'm quite enjoying it at the same time. <laughs> Fortunately, good art, like my impressions, are ageless, timeless, and as grown gentlemen, we can appreciate the good even more thanks to our beacon of hope that is the young Marvi, who balances our view with her own fresh takes. This week, we discuss a major incident that has shook the world. Brad Pitt's unfortunate <laughs> photo spread for GQ magazine. Has one of the most charismatic movie stars in the universe finally entered the stage of rapid decline? Are we all destined to become a mockery? Why? We may take a lesson out of Two Shell's book on how to do it. Wear masks and keep people guessing while you also make fresh-faced electronica. Not a bad move, ever. The mysterious duo have made one of, no, not one of, our EP of the week. We also picked up a story in The Quietus that claimed that indie sleaze of the late 2000s is resurging again through one of Gen Z's many online lenses. And of course, Marvie has one of her very interesting theories, which she's going to talk about further on in the show. Let's begin. You're listening to the latest from Alan Brax and DJ Falcon. It is, yeah, part of the latest. Yes, yeah. I, you look see, at me accusingly. I, I, I'm, I as was, if like one. Well, it it, it 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 means that all is right in the world because I, of a certain age, mm -hmm. uh, relate to Alan Brax and DJ Falcon. They have produced <coughs> some of my favorite mm, dance hits or music from that beautiful uh, universe that is known as French Touch. And the fact that they're still hacking it uh, demonstrates that yes. Even after a certain age, because I think they are older than I am, you can still hack it, unlike Sick Boy from Trainspotting would say. Uh, well, they, they are roughly our age, a little, little bit older, certainly mine, mine and yours, but just a little bit of Mars added to us. And they, uh, isn't this a beautiful song? You know, wouldn't you go out and dance this? And also, isn't it, apparently the youth like it as well. Mar, you're the youth. <laughs> yeah. Spokesperson yeah. for the youth. Then what do you think of this? I like it, I guess, if, if they would like it. <laughs> now, it, it, yeah, I, I feel like cornered now to say yes. To no, you don't point. have to say if you like it. You can say this is, This does not resonate with me. It hasn't got yeah. that, the, the sound that makes me... 
No, it's like that some yeah, sounds just sort of resonate with and some don't. I don't know how that works. But yeah, maybe it's not even a generational thing. It's about like taste. Like if you like this kind of music, I do, but maybe some people don't. But for instance, when I was 12, I think 11 or 12 years old, me and my class, some of my classmates, we got really into The Doors, a band mm -hmm. from the late 60s, right? So we were just as excited about The Doors mm -hmm. as four generations before us, right? So that happened. So, Kate uh, Bush is now the equivalent. Kate Bush. This is very, very true. Are you into Kate Bush now? Yeah. Well, I, I, I knew her before, but I love the th that she's the moment now. If only someone had written an article about a year ago uh, illustrating <laughs> Kate Bush's uh, history with electronic music. If only. And you did. I did. Oh, you did? Yeah, Thank yeah, yeah. I did. I did. We, you, weren't, you didn't go to the <laughs> You're weekend. You're doing though. the people's work. Like, we will never be grateful enough for your immense... No, no one's ever grateful. <laughs> no, well, I, I forgot you didn't go to the weekend. We all went down in the car, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the car together. And so we put on um, Hands of Love by Kate Bush. Um, because I'd written an article about it. And obviously, Hands of Love by Kate Bush is a brilliant, brilliant album, but it goes a bit weird at the end, like the start of side two, uh, end of side two, when it goes like Irish fiddly and kind of thing. And we were like, you know, halfway to Valencia and people were just like, um, yeah, I'm not that into the Irish fiddle fiddle thing. And like, no, yeah. I think we were all super into it. Do I have a, like, oh, I was into memory? it. I was into it. But like, I got, I think just at the end, it went a bit strange. I think people were like, yeah. <laughs> you see, you were in the same van and you had different perceptions yeah. of reality. You're, you perceive that the Irish fiddle part wasn't going down well, but Meyer has a sweet memory of it. Well, no, but you know how it is when, you, when you're like, when you're the one who's putting an album on, suddenly, do you, do you ever get this? Like, you go, oh, God, and suddenly you're listening to every bit. You're like, oh, is that, is that not that good? Or is that good? Do I like that? Do I, do I not like that? Yeah. I get a bit... Um, nervous in, in that kind of way it's like it's like if you work in a place with an office stereo which you don't right mm. but like i remember i used to place work in a place in a music magazine that had a stereo and like like people put stuff on it all day long and it was just putting your own thing on it was really big because you had to walk out with your cd and put it on it and then like, everyone was listening to it and like people sometimes you'd just be like sitting there like oh is this good i don't know like do, do other people like it and 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 um you know you all it would take is like someone's raised eyebrow and like oh god oh god i'm the worst person in the world and i don't like you know well that's another thing that maybe we could talk about in depth in another episode about the the, the, the wanting to be liked or that your music tastes are, are liked by the rest i mean as people who sometimes DJ, uh, that's part of the job, isn't it? And part of the excitement, sharing music, and but also the fear of what will people think if I drop this song, this unexpected banger in between, you know, you're playing a really classy Balearic set, but then you'll put in some cheesy 80s, like Mel and Kim disco edit or something. And, the, and, and when people react well, it's super euphoric. When they don't, ah, what a shame. And that is probably what Brad Pitt was thinking when he oh. worked closely oh. with this wonderful photographer, fashion photographer, uh, but who goes by the name of uh, Elisabetta, Elisabetta Porodina, when they got together to mm, think up a photo shoot, right? So uh, something very exciting has happened, and it's that the Twitter has reacted wildly in many, well, some people reacted very negatively towards it. Other people actually embraced it. So I think this the theme this week has to do with perceptions of reality. In the case of Mr. Pitt, he perceived like what he was doing was going to be edgy. It was going to be fun. It was going to be a wild territory that he hadn't te uh, stepped on before. But the results, eh, 
Mixed results. Anyway, um, it's something that runs rampant in the world of entertainment. Along with science, it's full of fantastic hypotheses brought to audiovisual life in the case of entertainment. In science, they actually make it with other things. Uh, but when humans from this industry take the fantasy a little bit too close to Earth, things get very interesting indeed, right? Like what happened with Brad Pitt's cover shoot. He's Let's, let's, let's step let's, back. Let's unpack it. What, the Brad Pitt cover shoot? Yeah. Can we try to unpack it? Because I don't, I mean, literally, I don't know what... Well, I do. I get a vague idea what's going on here. So... so You've both seen it, Brian. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, like, basically, one of the most famous A-list movie stars uh, of one of the most popular men's lifestyle magazines uh, is on the cover, right? All is correct. This very heterosexual masculine, masculine icon has decided to go fully flared for the photo shoot wearing very colorful clothes and makeup. Now, uh, you know, bordering on... Well, hang on a second. When Robert Pattinson, Harry Styles, or even Kid Cudi take part in this blatant manifestation of queer baiting, all is acceptable in the world of pop. When a 58-year-old manly man does it, let's just say Twitter jibe season is open. We're talking faded back Berlin cabaret master of ceremonies struggling to pay rent. We're talking German cult actor and Wim Wenders August Van Sant's muse Udo Kier in Swan Song, a movie whose synopsis on IMDb reads, a formerly flamboyant hairdresser takes a long walk across a small town to style a dead woman's hair. <laughs> I personally approve of the, any actor playing around with their image and going places they've never gone before. But sometimes it works and you can you cut out those photos to spread across your teenage bedroom wall. Other times you preserve them in the folder of failed ideas that may someday be of use for some grotesque piece of art. Okay, so I didn't get the sort of queer baiting on this, to be honest. Is that what Twitter, that reliable place of uh, reliable opinions and restrained opinion, has been saying? No, I didn't dig that far. That was my that, that was my per I don't perception. Think it, mm, I kind of agree, but at the same time, I wouldn't say queer baiting so sure like yes i see what you mean but uh, to me that's more of a harry styles kind of thing and what's happening is that jq is doing a lot of cool like editorials this past few months i think i think they have taken like a super cool like route um with the magazine and i've i've bought like physical mm, copies of, of the last issues because the, the the photo shoots and the ideas were so brilliant. I wanted to have a, a physical copy of a magazine, which is something I don't do that often. So it, I have the Robert Pattinson one, which is super cool. I have the Rosalia one, which is amazing. But the, And this one is not that different. Like It's basically the same crazy ideas with amazing creative people behind it and amazing photographers, but it just doesn't work with Brad Pitt but I don't think if it's intentional like I don't know if they knew it would look awkward and it was part of the idea like maybe they were doing it like yes this man is kind of in an like um not so stable place in his life like he has a lot of things going on um personally in mm -hmm. in like a lot of accusations and and things if has possibly done which are not good, which doesn't make him look good. And this magazine doesn't make him look good either. So maybe it's like a very thought out thing that that happened. Like, look at this poor man trying to fit in, but he doesn't. Can like I, maybe that's part of the photo shoot thought can, process. I've got another take on it. 
which is that basically um, when you do these kind of celebrity interviews, and I've never yeah. done anyone as famous as Brad Pitt, but this is what people say, is basically they are boring as shit because they don't want to say anything, right? And so basically what they got here was Brad Pitt talking about his dreams. Now, right, even the people I love most in the world, I don't want to hear them talk about their dreams because yeah. it's fascinating to you. Like, I mean, I, even in movies, like I hate dream sequences. Oh God! <laughs> apart from The Sopranos, that's the only one. Yeah, The Sopranos had really good dream sequence, but apart from that, it's boring as shit. And I'm sorry, like all the people I love in the world, I don't want to be at your dreams because it's just your brain throwing up stuff, right? And I'm not like a Freudian analysis. So right, so you get in this interview, you get Brad Pitt talking about his dream world, and you're like, Christ, the rest of the interview boring enough. All right, so let's hear about his dreams, which aren't that interesting, to be honest, right? Um, and but they're like, okay, we got something, we got something, we got to, we got to go with it, right? And so basically, the 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 kind of um, the photo shoot is like that. It's like, oh my god, what's happening in Brad Pitt's dreams? And it's like, and that's why it's so weird. But that again, yet again, basically, it starts from the bad premises. Like, no one effing cares, Brad. I really, really don't care. Like Brad Pitt, good actor, interesting. Well, now, is he that interesting? Yeah. I like, yeah. nah, no, he's nah, charismatic. I don't. He's charismatic, as much as. As a questionable person, he has become. He's an icon. He's like culturally he, has totally, a, totally. But would you be interested to sit down for a drink with him? I wouldn't. I would because he looks very like approachable. Uh, unlike Tom York, for instance, who's, who's like the opposite of Brad Pitt. I'm bringing Tom York because you went to see him last night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I got. I, I remember sort of being very close to Tom York at Primavera Sound, but divided by the the wall that you know the the, the wall that protects the backstage. And I got like such a vibe, like wow, this person really does not want to be friends with anyone, and and I'm getting it, and I'm gonna run away. Whereas with Brad Pitt, you look at him on screen or you see him in interviews, and it's like I could definitely hang out with this guy because he seems like very, uh, almost like a stoner. Well, he, mm-hmm. he he was a stoner, wasn't he? He was, yeah, <laughs> yeah. One of the reasons <laughs> Miss Zendalee gave him well, the boot. Didn't she say he was boring? Didn't she say basically just sits around smoking weed all the time? Like, and, and, <laughs> and there is no one more boring than someone who talks about their dreams while they're smoking a pot of bong. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Let, let me bring you the opening line of this incredible portrait of of Brad Pitt, written by a professional journalist for a magazine people pay money for. Brad Pitt tries to remember his dreams. Like, I don't care. <laughs> like, and he's talking about the dream. Before, uh, the most predominant dream I would experience would be getting jumped and stabbed. I don't care. It's like, <laughs> I really, really don't care. Um, and like, one might be tempted to psychoanalyze a dream like that. No, I wouldn't, because I don't care. And like, then you do the photo shoot, and I don't care either. I mean, apart from... No, the, you- the photo shoot, you care. That's the thing. I think they kind of understood nobody like reads anything anymore <laughs> like yeah. on twitter we just got a few screenshots of of the photos that were funny looking and we just commented on it i i didn't even it didn't even cross my mind that there was something that was said and written about it like like the interview which is the whole the whole thing that the photos were made for but in my head it, it's not relevant anymore well, they see that's that's the interesting thing like obviously poor i feel bad for the people at gq they're like god we've got to do something all right Dreams, that's it. Mm. Let's get him lying in a river like Ophelia wearing a big psychedelic kind of shirt. And it's like... <sighs> but it's baffling because A-listers like Pitt have a have people on the payroll making sure their million-dollar-by-the-minute image is carefully protected. And they have very strict approval clauses with any media outlet that will have the rights to release these images. So we know that at some point, Pitt looked at these photos and gave the thumbs up, which is A, brave. B, shows that at almost 60, he cannot give a fuck. And see, he's still as delusional as any person who chooses a life in the spotlight. And what I loved about the interview 
is how he talked about how he was conned into believing that this French estate where he makes wine actually hid had some um, uh, some gold uh, some gold buried mm -hmm. there some some stolen gold from years ago hidden in there and he was conned into believing this and apparently he spent months like being really excited about digging out this gold uh, and and it's like it just goes <laughs> to show he's a... just as delusional as I am because if I, I'm the kind of person who believes this kind of crap like when we interviewed Black Midi and they kind of in a second they convinced me that. Morgan, the drummer, had only started picking up the drums like uh, two a year before forming the band. No, no, but you twigged on that further than I did. I was, I was sat there thinking, but I thought he was a really experienced drummer. Like, and you know, you picked up on it. So, so curious to you. I'm even. I'm well, even because more. I immediately saw that they started like looking at each other and it's like, oh, they're playing me like a mm -hmm. fool, like a, like a man, like an older man. Sorry, Mel, what were you, what were you about to say? You had uh, some important point. Um, I don't remember now, but I think <laughs> I think I was being rude I, about I the I think he one. has like uh, someone in his team that is younger, that that was like. Either way, these photos are are gonna be talked about. Like, if people like them, people will be like, "Oh, look at this cool photo shoot that that is so interesting and stuff." Or they're gonna talk badly about them, but they're gonna talk about it, which is the important thing. And I think they knew this. Like, it's not like. They, they couldn't see that something that it was something that would fly, fly by people and and mm. have no impact. And and they don't. Re I don't think if you're that like in, if you understand fame, at this level you don't care what people, yeah. that people only say good things. I think yeah. you only want to be talked about. And one of the things I saw being said, which is true, is that he stole like whoever did the makeup thing stole Julia Fox. Look, because oh, in man. some of, of the, the eyeshadow, it's the signature Julia Fox eyeshadow. Well, but remember how many men we saw at Primavera Sound wearing makeup, right? And and proper, like, you know, mm -hmm. they looked like queer men. They didn't look like they were queer baiting. No, even some, like, look like, like, it, you know, like bros, like festival bros. Mm -hmm. I kind of saw a few doing a little bit of, of makeup in a fun festival yeah. way. Wow. So it's like going mainstream. The, the, the What was like kind of frowned upon as, mm, yeah, but mm, are you queer baiting because you're a heterosexual guy? Like wearing tank, you know, the the your belly button showing <laughs> t-shirts and, and wearing makeup? Or no, it's actually a good thing. Like it's actually making it seem like it's okay to wear it even if you're not i don't know uh, i think it's i think in that case it's okay especially if it's you not know, if, reading. because if you think of like some town where you know what whenever you read the biographies of people like i don't know brett anderson or or robert smith growing up in these towns where there was lad culture and all these kind of like you know you'd get beaten up for like wearing tight jeans or wearing your hair long back in the 80s or in the 70s you know it's it's nice to think of a mainstream world where if you live in some little town somewhere, you can wear, you can dress like Brad Pitt on the cover of GQ and no one is going to say nothing about it. That would be an ideal progress, I guess. And maybe Brad and his team thought of this. It's like, it's going to be ridiculous. It's going to look like mm -hmm. silly or whatever. Like, look at these photos. Look at them. They were probably looking at it and he was probably like, you know what? Nothing bad can come of this. What? Just me getting like shamed on Twitter? That He can deal with that. He's, almost 60 um la times wrote people seem to be of the opinion that gq achieved a stunning feat by managing to make pit someone who is famous for looking good look anything but <laughs> but it's like you know uh some some other people on like on on 
on Isabella's, uh, Elisabetta Parodina's Instagram were very encouraging and said like, wow, amazing how such a familiar face feels so detached from reality in your image. Stunning. Can I, can I just say something? The person that did the interview is Otessa. Uh, <gasps> oh, yes. Otessa did the interview? What? I'm going to read the interview now. I, I forget no, everything no, but, I said. Uh, so, so I've been dissing the interview. I've been being quite rude. And I'm not dissing Otessa, who is... Um, you, uh, no one can diss Otessa. No, no, I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm just suggesting she had very little to go with. Yeah. My interpretation of the stabbing dreams were on the surface about fears, feeling unsafe. Like, <laughs> you don't tell me. They're about fears, getting stabbed. Wow. Sorry. I, I really... This is, um, yeah, until I had read her name, I thought this interview is giving a lot of... is filling a lot of uh, um, page with, with her own... Um, her own presumptions and things, no? Like interpretations of what Brad is saying. It's like, mm, okay... Uh, and then I read that yeah, who the who the author is, and it's like okay, this is this is a when you're a sort of established writer, you can do that in a interview, no? Like put in your own reflections and stuff, and it's all the more rich for it, I guess. Well, also if you've not got shit to go with, you know, you kind of got to fill of, in. Yeah, yeah. But for instance, another photo shoot that coincided with Brad Pitt's famous divorce was the ones that for the same publication were taken by Ryan McGinley, mm -hmm. where they went out into the the desert. Uh, was it? Joshua Tree or one or, or it was, and it was all about you know Brad Pitt supporting Nash ecology by going to one of these national parks mm -hmm. and and it was you know Brad Pitt in touch with his well sensitive side you know they were very frank those photos him looking into the camera he was very bare shall we say and even though he was styled you know he was wearing clothes you know the, let's not forget it's a fashion magazine and they have to wear clothes that to promote some of the latest designs and stuff um, those those photos weren't boring. I like them. You know, I, I'm I'm a fan of Ryan Maybe, McGinley. Yeah, yeah. But I think I I now I'm looking at at that photo shoot because I really remember when they came out. I I was like I really really enjoyed that one too. But now I'm looking at it and I'm like, do I prefer the dream one? Well, uh, the dream one is is quite iconic. Like the bad thing is that now Brad Pitt is we're in a time in like era where we just been through the I don't want to talk about it but through the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard's mm -hmm. case and stuff and and now Marilyn Manson most likely will do the same thing and I kind of have a feeling that um, Brad Pitt will do something too about like taking a chance that now men believe men women are liars and and I don't want to like feel like good about him so i like the photo shoot i don't know about him as a person oh i think i mean he's been okay <clears throat> there, there was a few moments where he kind of pushed the limit a, a little bit when he started picking up awards for once upon a time in hollywood when he, he won the oscar for best supporting actor and he kind of proudly sort of like like kind of slamming the table because you know the whole that whole movie has a subtext about generation brad pitt's generation uh fighting against uh, these young hippies who are who are canceling and who are trying to kill the older elder people like the manson family and all this kind of stuff no and tarantino very savvily made a film about today's context but going back to a movie set in the 60s and brad pitt w picked up the award saying yeah it just goes to show you know i picked up an award mm -hmm. for paying a guy who kills who 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 shot who allegedly shoots his wife or kills his wife gets away with it and and uh, and beats some children to death or something like that you know uh, just goes 
I'm paraphrasing terribly here. He didn't exactly say that, but he kind of ended his speech saying, it just goes to show that sometimes the adults have to come in and fix everything. Yeah, no, I remember what, what you're talking about. I, I, and it was funny. It's, it's, Brad Pitt is a lovable it? character. Yeah. Like he's, he's a kind of celebrity that you want to love, but so are so many others. And, and it's so difficult to do like this guy. I don't want to talk about this, separating <laughs> the artists from the art, whatever, no, whatever. But uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm in a conflict here because I know he's going to sue like um, Angelina Jolie eventually. Really? Do you yeah, think? I'm, think I'm so. the mother of his six kids? Yes. I'm uh, a bit behind. Uh, I, won't, I won't ask what's what's. But I think that, that they're no longer in, in fact... The, she just sold a stake uh, that she had in the vineyards where Brad Pitt was digging for gold to some investment guy or something, mm -hmm. which that that might have pissed him off a little bit. It's like now he has to share this 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 company. I don't know. He but I, something about this state or something they have something going on. But I think which, it's more to do with property more than like. Yeah, I I didn't really get into it much because I'm so tired of all these <laughs> men doing horrible. Not horrible, but it. Oh yeah, I and I think Brad Pitt is kind of. He knows he's lovable, and I don't think he's like. I don't think nobody is per se a bad person, but they have bad aspects of them, and trying to like hide them or or like. Pol like make them look polished by being like, but I'm so funny. And when I take an award, I make a quirky joke and everyone laughs because it's actually funny. Mm. But then that, that doesn't mean that I maybe have a substance abuse problem and that has been a problem with my family and, and they have to deal with that too. And, and it's been difficult. Like it's two realities that coincide, but we haven't, I don't know. It's difficult. Yeah. But I, I don't think he, well, I want to think that he wouldn't take anything further into into courtroom with Angelina, apart he, from business stuff. I'm just going to say, Angelina once said she was, well, way before, um, what's his name? The Me Too movement that, not Harvey Weinstein? Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein yeah. was a producer, um, yeah. yeah. Angelina, way before the Me Too movement started and stuff, he, she said, I don't know if publicly, but at least to Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt knew that she had had an encounter with... Gwyneth. Um, it was Gwyneth Paltrow. No, and Angelina too. Oh. Angelina told um, Brad that she had had a bad encounter with um, Harvey, Harvey Weinstein. And he knew, and they were married, and they had children together already. And Brad Pitt proceeded to work with him either way so that kind of shows a kind of character that i don't align with um but and that did... makes me and especially in this time where i feel like we're going backwards yeah and people are using this uh, on their favor just for maybe economic reasons but still it's mm. it doesn't look that good in your part that yeah. you take a chance that now we're on a kind of movement that's going backwards yeah yeah i mean the thing what what gwyneth said uh, is that when she told brad pitt that harvey had uh you know tried to corner her uh brad pitt apparently did uh, uh confront what harvey weinstein about it and said don't you mm. ever put your hands on my on my wife again or girlfriend were they ever married 
Brad Pitt and Gwyneth? No, my girlfriend. No, Whatever. Yeah. So he did stick up for, stand up for uh, Gwyneth, but he did continue to work with the money. Nah, that's the hypocrisy of Hollywood. And it's when you, you remember that compilation of all the actresses who 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 were, had been had had a terrible encounter with Harry Weinstein, thanking him at the Oscars. Gwyneth. There's like a whole compilation, a video montage of all these actresses who'd come forth. Like back in the day, thanking their Oscar and Harvey Weinstein, thank you so much for the opportunity and stuff. And it just goes to show, it's like uh, Hollywood is full of hypocrisy. And what are you going to do? But if huh? your partner says, yeah. "I'm really hurt that you want to work with that person," yeah. and you do it anyway, yeah, no matter how many millions. Anyway, it was tough. I mean, at a, for a while, there was nothing you could do in Hollywood without it being produced by Miramax or the Weinstein Brothers production. Yeah, maybe, but yeah, in in. And if you thank him in your Oscar speech stuff, like that's your thing. You decided that mm. it's not. But if you explicitly say, oh, if you would work with that person, that would hurt me. Just don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Hollywood full of delusional people. And even not just Hollywood, uh, the music industry, which is all over the world. It's not just in Hollywood. Uh, someone who reminds me a little bit of Brad Pitt having this kind of beautiful stage when they're reaching 60 and doing all kinds of weird, funny stuff is Madonna. <laughs> oh, God, I hope you know where you're going with this. I didn't really. I just wanted to talk about Ben's review of her latest uh, release, which we is... We need uh, clickbait. <laughs> yeah, we need clickbait, Ben. Come on, let's talk about Madonna. She's released a, a remix, well, a, a compilation of some of her, what she considers her standout remixes from all her entire career... Yes. And uh, Ben, you had something very interesting to say about it, and I and I agree. Well, I you got a little shit. Of, you got I, shit for it. I really, really, really did. No, I basically said that that like Madonna is great. I love Madonna. Um, and uh, at the start, she got really good people into remix her work, and towards the end, she got really rubbish people into remix her work. And like for some reason, she chose. She's created this thing. She chose like some of the worst remixes I've ever heard. And my point was like, look, Madonna. Three thumbs up, she's great. Remixers, not so great. And also, like, often, honestly, artists aren't the best people to, to, to choose their work. Like, it's like, oh, who knows? Like, do I know more about Madonna than Madonna? No. Like, am I telling Madonna what to do? No. Do I know more about Madonna's remixes than Madonna? No. But, like, in my opinion, she just chose some, like, kind of very bad ones. And, like, this is what sort of, like, harm, harmed the, the, the compilation. Because it's like, well... The first, as I say, like the first half is brilliant. Some of the best songs in the history of the world, and then like basically the second, some of them are really, really, really bad. And it's it's suffice to say, the internet did not did not like my um, did not like my response, which quite surprised me because I thought obviously Madonna's like really, really massive. Obviously Madonna's got loads and loads of fans, mm -hmm. but like I thought like being you know rude to reviewers was more about like something BTS fans did or you know Blackpink <laughs> or, or or that kind of thing. No, what? no, no, Madonna's, Madonna's... <laughs> no, you're getting into a, the, the Ma next garden. <laughs> Madonna has so many... You know, she's got fans who've been standing by her for decades, more than BTS fans have. How long has BTS been around? 10 years? 15 years? Whatever. Uh, Madonna, she's been around since I was practically born. <laughs> and it's And I agree with you because Madonna always had her pulse on the club. She came from clubs... She used to perform at clubs as a go-go dancer, like underground New York clubs. She was there. 
I think what she did with the Vogue album, uh, even though now people are like, well, she co-opted black and Latino gay culture and stuff. It's like, no, she brought it into the mainstream and and she made Voguing a thing and and it just became part of her thing. Like she was one of the greatest mainstream allies for the queer community. The other thing is, like I said in the review, like I called her a magpie, someone who borrowed from like club culture. And for me, that's a good thing, you know, because like nothing is 100% original, nothing. And but like people are like, oh my god, I can't believe you called one of the greatest pop stars in you know of the 20th century like uh, like a, a, a magpie. magpie. I can't you said they bought, they bought it? and it's like no, but that's a good Match thing. Match the magpie, how dare you? Um, and um, what else? I was going to say something, but like that's um, I, 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 what was I going to say? It, it just sort of shows you you just can't sort of. People don't get it very personal. They yeah. really, really do. Like, and also, also, so many people just read what it says on Twitter and don't read the review. Mm. So many people. Or oh, they read in diagonal and they look at the word like, what, magpie? What? Uh, n- negative w- negative phrase. Oh, I'm going to tweet back at this Ben Card. You, oh, he's on Twitter. Oh, great. You, you know, you establish a nice line of direct contact. But I remember even like the David Morales uh, remix, they'd play that one on MTV rather than the original, or was it the original that just sounded like it was produced by David Morales? I can't remember, but... I like. I always thought that Madonna and club music, like underground club music, went hand in hand. She just sort of, it, w- it was part of her musical language to always be like, what are people listening to in the clubs? Then she'd put in some ballads in there and stuff in her albums and, and something more just radio pop friendly. But I, especially from her 90s period, I always associate Madonna with being someone who's always in the club. And she's always like friends with DJs. And it's totally normal for Madonna being a huge, massive superstar, going to some dingy club in some underground place uh, and going to the DJ booth. There's a story about how she went to Miss Shapes when that was really big. Uh, Miss Shapes was a party that was very popular in the late 2000s in New York City. Um, Ryan by uh, Jordan McNichol and and uh, uh, Lee Lezerak. And there was a third member, I can't remember. Anyway, so there were these young kids who took this really shitty dive bar and they started playing like this, the music of the time, like electro clash and and disc and a little bit of disco and indie rock, uh, the danceable indie rock, which apparently is making a comeback. And I'm going to segue into mm-hmm. a bit further into, and uh, and and it was it was like I don't know, like going to El Pony here in Barcelona or something. It wasn't even like a club. It was a it was just a bar that had a license to play music till a bit later. And it was, and the, and and all of a sudden, anyone who was anyone in New York City would go there. Chloe Sevigny, all the cool kids, probably Natasha Lyonne. I can imagine if Chloe went, Natasha was there. Uh, this was in the two thousands, right? And uh, all these like cool people who were always in the Cobra Snake and all these fashion magazines and blogs that were around. So Madonna, she instantly got a whiff of where are the kids going these days. And they're like, oh, there's this place called Miss Shapes. And apparently she closed down Miss Shapes to go in there into this really shitty bar. And she was in the DJ booth. You know, I think she even connected her iPod. I don't know. These are stories that I hear from and I fantasize about. Mm -hmm. Like, imagine you're in Miss Shapes and in walks Madonna. Um, And yeah, and it was totally natural. And, uh, And what I love is that now that she's, what, 60 or... Is she 60 or she's close yeah, to 60? I think so. Whatever. She's still doing these kind of things. Remember that vi- that video on Instagram where she's like the mañaneo, like in the morning hours with Kanye West and Julia Fox and all these random people on a sofa? I think even Floyd Merriweather. Yeah, it was such a weird thing. It was thing. such a weird thing, but it gave me hope that it's like, you know what? This looks ridiculous. <laughs> like at your age, hanging out in a. It looks ridiculous, but it makes sense. And it's like, and, and your review 
Ben, led me to read some of the past reviews that are on Pitchfork and reading the review about one of my favorite Madonna albums, which is Ray of Light. It was funny how that album was the album when she became a mother to Lourdes, you know, became a mother for the first time. And all of a sudden she was grounded and going through this beautiful phase of maternity and like, leave, you know, leaving the fame life and, and leaving the club behind to, you know, all of a sudden embrace Kabbalah and, and meditation and yoga and being healthy and wholesome and, and, and being a nurturing mother. And uh, all that was beautiful and very well reflected on one of her best albums ever produced by William Orbit, lovely Lush Electronica. It made sense. It was in the times, you know, it was the time of all that kind of, you know, when people were mixing Indian and Moroccan rhythms and getting all spiritual and had Massive Attack doing a little kind of arrangement here with Craig Armstrong. It was wonderful. I loved it. But that ended. <laughs> all of a sudden, like, then she went into, uh, like, okay, Lourdes is about 10 years old now, so now I can go back to the club. And then she started making... Mm, all her more hedonistic albums and that, that phase, especially Confessions on a Dance Floor, which I think is another beautiful triumph in her discography. Well, this is what I mean. Like, basically, Confessions on a Dance Floor 2005, like, suddenly she re re releases this album that absolutely taps into, like, what the kind of dance uh, music is doing, what kind of people are actually listening to in clubs. And to do that as a massive pop star and to sell 10 million copies is clever. That's really, really, really good. You know, and that's kind of what what I think she very much does best. And then I gotta say, since then, hasn't she? she I don't know what's happened to Madonna of late, but like, I'm not like the albums since then. Hard Candy, MDNA, Rebel mm. Heart, and Madame X haven't really done it for me. It almost feels like she can't quite tap into it. She started losing it. The, what you see, what I loved about Confessions on the Dance Floor is that she worked so tightly close with Stuart Price. That was that was a perfect amalgamation just like with William Orbit you know when she chooses good young younger producers and she and she totally believes in them blindly plus I remember there was like stories about her going to his flat in London his little flat and they were producing a lot of the songs there in his bedroom uh, you know it wasn't like some fancy ass like big budget thing where they'd rent some fancy electric ladyland or some studio or whatever no no they were like working a lot in his room in his in his bedroom it's like what madonna one of the biggest stars like this is what i love these stories anyway so ever since then i don't think she's hit lightning because she hasn't found the right young person to work with like she keeps working with lots of collaborators like all these mainstream artists too and it's just kind of lost a little bit uh, of the but punch. maybe she has someone who is new in her team that tells her what's going on Maybe she's on TikTok and she does very weird TikToks, but in a good way. I think I like them. And she went, she had like a pride party. I think it was her own. And she brought one artist that went viral on, on TikTok, which made like a, a different version of Material Girl. And mm. it went very viral. Like it was completely different, but it had like the same like lyrics and stuff. And they sang together. Like she brought like someone who was no one to sing with her because they went viral on TikTok. And I really like this idea because it made so much sense for Pride and um, for Madonna to mm -hmm. acknowledge this person, for this person to be acknowledged by the Madonna. I think I think she she has the tools to like fit in like the times. I would wants. love her to do another album that totally sort of dominates again does like confessions of a dance floor like 
17 years on that totally taps into everything that's going on. You'd be like, oh my God, well done, you've done it again. I would absolutely love that to happen. And you know how that could happen? Tell me. If she picked up the phone and spoke, Rob, and spoke to Two Shell. Can't you, you just imagine a Madonna vocal on this incredible track? Oh, it would work. It would be marvelous. This is the, I think this is the next bastion which Madonna should tap into now in, in this late stage in her career. She should go avant-garde and she should work with the kind of young people who have this incredible way of capturing sounds of the past and making it sound entirely futuristic like Two Shall Do on this wonderful EP, which is our album of the week titled Icons. Ben, give us the professional critique. So Tuchel have been um, on the up for basically all of this year. I kind of, I first, uh, they first came to my attention at the end of 2021. A lot of people were talking about about uh, their, their releases throughout this year, some of the releases of the year. And I was like, oh, I've got to find out who these people are. And basically, um, they're slightly mysterious. Like they're two producers apparently from London. No one knows who they are. And obviously rumors have gone into overdrive. Are they Fortet? Are, are they, they Disclosure? Yeah, are they dis- Maybe. Are they Daft Punk? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? You would know. Uh, well, potentially. Um, and so, the, the yeah, I was like, oh, what's going on? And like, basically, everything they they've been becoming like progressively, and I rather like this. They're becoming less mysterious and more funny, basically, because like they, there's a bit of controversy recently. They they uh, DJ'd at Primera Sound, and I, I I went to see it. But I was, I was way back. I couldn't really see what's happening. I was just listening to the music. I was like, oh, this is really, really good. And then it was on the boiler room stage. So it was all being videoed. Mm. Um, and um, basically people were like, are they actually DJing? And um, well, I'm not saying they were. And I'm, not, I'm not saying they weren't. But I think if you if you kind of have a look at, um, at the video, uh, you'll see two very, very, very happy looking uh, young men who are sort of certainly doing the kind of things that might suggest that they're DJing, but uh, potentially aren't. And I was like, I quite like that. They seem to have a bit of a KLF thing going on. And like, yeah. you know, they seem to kind of be playing playing around because I think if you're going to, like, if you're going to do that kind of thing, you you need to do it with, with a bit of humour. And it sort of got me thinking, like, do I mind if they're really DJing or not? I was like, well, I enjoyed the night, didn't I? You know, I had, had good fun, really enjoyed their, their DJ set. It's like, well, DJing is only playing pre-recorded music anyway. And obviously yeah. there are brilliant, brilliant DJs who are doing a lot, a lot more than that. But like, it's like, well, I, I enjoyed it, I guess. And it was like, yeah, yeah it, it was um, it was kind of fascinating, basically. I, this is something that's always plagued a lot of electronic artists, even Chemical Brothers for a while. Like everyone in Spain, whenever they'd see them at a festival, 
They were like, yeah, but they just come and play press. They just press play and they're just mimicking and miming. And it's like, yeah, but it, well, Lokomia were even worse. You know, they, they, they well, no, they weren't even worse. They, they, they or Milli Vanilli. That at least they had little dance routines and they had your attention. You know, you'd look at them dressed fabulously and flamboyantly, and you'd look at them dance and stuff. And it's like, who cares if it's not even their vocals on the on the track? And it's like, I'm I'm looking, I'm entertained. But with uh, Two Shell, um, it's me trying to segue. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I'm falling flat. Uh, I don't get. I don't care about the mimicking or anything. I mean, it takes balls to do that in a boiler room video. You know, a record video recorded uh, DJ set, which you know thousands of people are going to obsess over and are going to start accusing. Maybe like Brad Pitt, they're they're doing something aware that mm -hmm. people are going to be talking mm -hmm. about it more, and it's probably a publicity stunt. Who knows? The the important thing is what's on record. This is. Amazing! It sounds such like nothing. Such a good EP, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. such a good EP, and the fact that it's an EP. I mean, it's how long is it? It's, it's not even five. Uh, is it five tracks. I think? Twenty-four minutes. Uh, you know, it's barely twenty-five minutes. Perfect. You know, it's it's perfect train ride. It's perfect to do some exercise too. I love that it sounds like all the best of like uh, good elements of avant-garde rave music, like. What was Mark Bell? LFO. LFO, yeah. Some of it reminds me, for some reason, of LFO textures. Uh, it sounds like Warp, basically. Early 90s Warp, uh, anything released on Warp. Uh, but I, I don't know. It just sounds like, it still sounds like music of the future. Dare I say, it sounds like uh, Bicep a lot more interesting. Yes. Like, interesting I like, I like, Bicep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I like Bicep. They're not bad, but like they're, they're, they're sort of not that interesting. They're not like that innovative. And Touchel, I think, do a lot of what they do like really big melodies really kind of big sort of drops that kind of thing but actually it's, it's, a, it's a lot more interesting did you like this EP more? yes tell us and about I the voice I loved it even more because <laughs> for for this whole duration of this week since we decided what album of the week we were gonna do I thought we were we said Shellac and I was like okay I'll have to listen to some rock I guess <laughs> and then it wasn't it was too Shell and I was like oh, okay I'm so much more in the mood to listen to this <laughs> So it was a double pleasure listen. Like it was like, oh, I, I'm into it. Okay. Also, I've got to say, like the final, the final song on the EP mainframe. Johan, did you get some big beat revival uh, yes. vibes? That's unbelievable. Like literally the least fashionable type of dance music ever in the whole world being done by like this incredibly sort of materialist fashionable duo. It's brilliant. It, it's because remember how big beat was so popular in that sort of late '90s phase. You know, you had people like Fatboy Slim, the Propeller Heads. Bentley Rhythm Bentley Ace. Rhythm Ace. Oh. Bentley, look, one of the best festival closing sets I've ever seen in my life was Bentley Rhythm Ace when they brought when they came on touring on their second album. And uh, I don't know what it was. It was like I never heard it before. But it's true that when I bought the album and then played it at home, it wasn't as exciting and it kind of dated really quickly. But I listened back to it now and actually I did enjoy it. But I think it was had more to do with nostalgia. And this is an interesting thing about these young people taking elements that in Ben and I's case, might um, trigger some nostalgia, but at the same time, it's like they're not. It, 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 it's not redundant because it feels modern and fresh, and uh, and it kind of has to do a little bit with what a lot of people are trying to force into our throats that oh the the two thousands dance rock revolution is coming back in these sleaze is coming back. Mm, it's like I think you're just trying to. You're, you're, it's wishful thinking. I uh, I'm not on board for that. I'm more on board for people taking the essence of what was exciting about that era and making something new out of it, like Two Sheller doing with those kind of uh, retro references or or Jockstrap even. But anyway, 
Um, do, you, do you know what we mean by big beat, Mo? I don't know what you mean, but many of the things you say in this show, I just say yes. It was I, this type of big 90s dance music, which was like Fatboy Slim? Yeah, Fatboy Slim. And it was... Uh, Fatboy Slim, I saw a TikTok. <laughs> Stop. I only know <laughs> things because of TikTok. Because I, but I saw a TikTok that he played um, like Surprise in Glastonbury and people like didn't recognize him or or didn't believe it was him. Like, And people asked him, like, are you Fatboy Slim? And he was like, yeah, actually. <laughs> well, he's always recognizable, always in his Hawaiian shirts and his, his you know, his, his, his yeah. all around okay. nice, nice, nice chum. But, uh, oh, damn it, I lost it. No, I was going to say, do, do you, do you, what do you reckon to this sort of um, mysteriousness around Tuchel, like not knowing who they are? I don't, I, I'm okay if, like, I don't know who many DJs are. <laughs> like, so, like, it's, it's kind of implied that if you're a DJ, you're kind of not, recognizable Remember many of the times. John Talabot used all his promo pictures at the beginning of his career as, as John Talabot. He'd always have his face covered with like aluminum foil and stuff. And it added to the mystique. Plus, most of uh, musicians who don't put vocal their own vocals on, it's like they're not putting a face on it. You know, it, they're, they're trying to transcend by being something other. Or in this case of Tuchel, maybe they're putting a really absurd face on it, you know, because mm -hmm. like the people who were doing the boiler room set are dressed up... Uh, mm -hmm. Quite spectacularly. I loved it. Yeah, I, I wasn't there, but I, I've seen a, a bit of the Boiler Room YouTube video. And it's silly, and I like it's it, silly. you know? <laughs> like, more, more, more power to them for that. Well, I, I, because I mentioned their name, I'm going to just ask Rob to play some jockstrap for us to segue into the next section about side character summer. You take me off the Glasgow could be place to go It sounds like she's singing. <laughs> it says, this is your Someone's new intro song. Someone's calling my name. Someone's calling <laughs> your name. What, I want to hear all about side characters, Summer. What is this? Okay, so last week you weren't here, but we, um, I don't know what was the thing we were talking about at the moment, but Ben asked a very proper question and asked me, what kind of summer is this summer? And I was faced with blankness. I didn't know what to answer and I, it just came to my mind that I, I didn't do like my homework, which is knowing before summer gets in what kind of summer this will be. Because by spring last summer, I, last year, I already knew it was going to be a hot girl summer. I, was it last year or two years ago? I don't last know. Last year, I think. But, but I knew it. And this year, I, I, I just got, I don't know. And I need you to know, because I can't, I can't, I can't work out what kind of summer is. I'm not going to fashionable places. I know, it's my job. I'm, I get paid for exactly, to know what yes. kind, of kind of summer, of damn summer is. But it's here. I have the answer. Okay, good. I have done my late homework. And I'm here to announce that, as you said, Johan, with the title, this will be a side character summer. And I, I don't know how else to explain it other than just literally quoting the incredible mind behind this idea, um, which is a, a girl on TikTok um, named, well, her username is Lola Okayola. And <laughs> she describes um, side character Summer as, the vibe is beloved side character with great outfits and funny one-liners. She also says, I will not undergo any character development, nor will I grow as a person. And finally, her statement is, I'm here to be funny and sexy. 
And I say yes to that. Like I, mm -hmm. I don't want anything. I don't want growth. I don't want to be the protagonist of anything. Mm -hmm. I just want to be there, looking cute, saying something funny, someone laughing at something I said, and having no problems. Just being there, like just enjoying. Like what is more freeing than than being the side character? We've talked a lot about oh the main character syndrome. Everyone thinks they're the main character. I'm the main character. You're the main character. We're all the main character. But no, I don't want to be the main character no. anymore. I want to be free. And to be free is to be the side character because the, there's not the pressure on you. It's on someone else. You're just there having fun, oh. vibing. To oh. give to give you a 90s reference, remember in Pretty Woman, Julia Roberts, her best friend. Uh, that that is the ta that is the person you've just described. I I was going to ask you now what kind of because since this is what we're channeling this summer, I was thinking like okay, big side characters that I can embrace them. Um, for this next few months coming like um, who are the fashionable quirky characters that I can uh -huh. channel and to, it came to my head like Mean Girls there's Janice the the, the one who tries to say fetch make fetch a thing no not that one but that one could be to that Gretchen I was Gretchen. thinking about uh, yeah another one but also like the Devil Wears Prada the Emily Blunt's Emily character Emily Blunt's character that, she, that's an that, iconic that one that made her that yeah. character made Emily Blunt the but powerhouse but also like Aladdin, like the genie, is one of the best characters, and it's a side character. So, like, like yeah. I, 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 we, we have lots of side characters. Chewbacca, in the Star Wars movies. Yeah. Chewbacca, well, Chewbacca. Every everything in Star Wars is a side character. R two D two three three. I've got one. Right. Have you have you noticed recently that uh, I'm not even? It's not even a side character. It's kind of an extra. But like in Doctor Strange, mm. there's um. Uh, someone in the background who's like doing this incredible extra performance, basically, who just like look around like. <laughs> That's an incredible side character yeah, to, to and channel, that, like an extra. It's not even like. It's not even side, you're an yeah, extra. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Basically, you've got like Dominic, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, and like mm -hmm. she, she's sort of just in the. <laughs> yeah. She's just in the background, and she's like doing the. She's like acting as. It, it, it's so weird. It's, it's like some. It's like she doesn't know what the hell to do, and she like, she's like, oh, motion, no motion, no motion. Look at the camera, don't look at the camera. It's absolutely brilliant. That's my side I've character. I've seen the of, clip on Twitter. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I want to be that woman. This summer, this is this is the summer to be. So what 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 does it entail? Like what 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 apart from what, what you've defined? Yeah, nothing else. Like oh, okay. there's not. I don't want like uh, it's tiring to be the main character. Yeah. There's a lot of job that it it requires. For example, character development. But if you're the side character, it's it's just uh, the best of both worlds of not having too much work or not having. Too much drama involved in your life, or or whatever, and and just being there, and just vibing, right? Yeah, just vibing. <laughs> there, there's nothing else to do. But also, the great part is a lot of the times the side character is the most loved character because it can get main characters can be a bit annoying sometimes. Like, okay, we've seen you already. Like, you're too much. Like the the girl in Gilmore Girls. It's like, okay, shut up. I don't care about you. But if you're the side character, most of the times people are like, oh, they're lovable and they're not on screen enough for me to hate them. So amazing. I, I, I want that. I want to be like not carry too much work, but at the same time be super loved. Can I can I go with a bit of a literary one? Well, yes, of course. Theatrical. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Yeah, Rosa in Hamlet. Uh, they are supposedly his best friends, but then he feels that he's been betrayed by them. And No, doesn't he send them off to... 
Yeah, right. he sends them off to England, I think. England. And uh, you later find out they're, they're dead. And then somebody made a whole play about Rosencrantz and Guildenstern dead, uh, like really? putting them to the, 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 the forefront. Love uh, them. Fantastic. We'll get to die this summer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like Obi-Wan. He was a bit of a side character who's all of a sudden got his own TV show and I think has got so many flaws, even though I Yeah, but we fights. don't want car- someone... We don't, we want to be loved, but not loved way too much to get the spin-off. We want people to be on Twitter like, I want them to have a spin-off, but nobody listening but no, to them. Yes. <laughs> this is the kind of love I want this summer. I want people to root for me, but not as much to put too much work for me to do. You see, Pete Davidson was a perfect side, side character. Side character that got into the main character and, and maybe now he's regretting it. Like, yeah. oh, damn it, I was so comfortable and so free as a side character. As a side, he, was, he was the owner of freedom on, on SNL. All he had to do is mm-hmm. show up and say a couple of things. He didn't even have to like work that hard on his sketches. Because like Brad Pitt, he's so watchable. You just, you just like ah, just just be there and do a little dance or whatever. Uh, like Mokomia. <laughs> <laughs> Still trying to shoehorn it in there. Locomia. Um uh, what you you've also written down the Wizards of Weverly Place. Yeah, because I you don't you will not understand this reference because I I you were way too old. Too to old what, oh, to right. 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 Easy, easy. Um but um Selena Gomez had like a best friend on that show and she wore the craziest outfits ever, like made of pencils or made of um I don't know little dolls it was like lady gaga would wear that in the bmas every single episode and i was like i would love to have that kind of energy this summer like having the create like my part on my on life is just bring something crazy to the table i'd like to be related Gunter from Friends. That's who I want to be. Who? Gunter! He, he died recently. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want that. Gunter, Gunter, <laughs> Swedish Gunter. All of Gunter. the characters you're mentioning die. Yeah, what happened? <laughs> the curse. The cardio curse. Yeah, yeah, Bloody but yeah. Gunter, Gunter. And his, yeah. Did he ever get a kiss from Rachel in the end? Because he was kind of obsessing, almost to a stalker kind of limit on on the show. Yeah, he was a bit off, wasn't he? <laughs> when, yeah. he when he <laughs> looked back on it. But imagine how cool it must have been to have been the actor playing Gunter. Like, everywhere you go, people know you because you're part of the most famous sitcom on earth, but you barely have a single line of dialogue and it's in But did you watch seasons. the Friends reunion? Yeah. No, I didn't. I uh, mm-hmm. skipped he, over it. Is, he's in it, isn't he? Or but is he? he? He wasn't because he was, like, dealing with cancer and then oh, he died damn. or something. <laughs> Doesn't but do they mention him maybe? I don't maybe? know if he's like in a clip, like maybe with a webcam clip or something, like pre-recorded. He wasn't there physically, I think. His, na- his real name, James Michael Tyler. Oh. Oh. <laughs> now it got sad because of you, Ben. Damn I was it. saying some cool for stuff the, for the sidekicks summer. Sidekicks are supposed to make things happy <laughs> and stuff. Jonah Hill was an incredible sidekick to, to Leo DiCaprio in, in Wolf of Wall Street. And I do hope that Hollywood decides to team them up together in a similar dynamic because it just works so well. And speak, Brad Pitt playing sidekick to Di- DiCaprio in, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that was a masterstroke because they're two both leading guys. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, like the elder one being the sidekick to the, it, the dynamic was just so beautiful and, and the chemistry worked so well. It's like, please, Hollywood would do this where when, when actors would have such great chemistry, they'd, they'd make more movies. Like Bud Spencer and Terence Hill, which were Italians, uh, but uh, or Laurel and Hardy, obviously. I don't know. You have these sort of comedic duos and stuff who work really well together, and they just keep making movies, male and female. Who, uh, uh, 
Nicole Kidman was always does very. She, is it with Hugh Jackman? No, no. I can't think. My mind is like exploding. And and I think that's all we have time for. Well, if our minds have all exploded, uh, it's about to finish, isn't it? Yeah. That's it. That Before means... we have a stroke on air. <laughs> okay, well, let's say goodbye with, uh, you know, now that people are talking about a, a rock revolution return, the only thing that I've heard recently that has really put, made me excited by listening to a band that sounds just like Interpol mixed with Dive is this band called Bin Steller. And with them, we say goodbye. Gracias, Rob.